Man, all right. Well, before we get going into Mark chapter 2, just a reminder of a couple of things last week. So when I originally started, uh, decided I was going to go through the book of Mark, I thought it was going to be uh, really challenging. I forgot to put this microphone on. Um, I thought it was going to be really challenging trying to uh, just do like the whole chapter instead of just like story by story because there's so many stories that you see as you go through the book. And so... Um, the thing is, though, whenever you go through the whole chapter, I'm learning there's actually, it's a lot easier to understand all these stories. Because typically what people do when going through the Gospels is we kind of separate all these stories and just kind of preach on that. But the thing is, all I'm seeing all of these stories, they all go together. And they're all kind of building on each other. And it really helps give it a, a lot of insight to passages that can often be difficult. And so when we're in chapter 1... Chapter one, it starts off talking about John the Baptist showing the fulfillment of showing this is a fulfillment of prophecy that appointed one that was prophesied is coming. John the Baptist is preparing the way of the Lord. Jesus get he gets baptized. We know it was then when he got baptized, the Holy Spirit came on him. God gave him that spirit without measure, and then we immediately see him going and uh, going. To, he goes to Capernaum. He preaches. He preaches with authority, and the people are amazed at the authority he's preaching with. And so then, what do we do? We see him start doing miracles, and these miracles are illustrating and showing the authority that he did have. So, so Jesus didn't just come and just talk big. You know, he proved he had the authority to talk big the way he did. Because if you can do miracles like that, you know, uh, you're probably a guy with some power and authority when you're rebuking devils and things like that. And so here, now in chapter 2, what we're going to see is Jesus Christ exercise that power and authority here he actually starts using it and basically putting it on display and doing great things and so let's start reading in verse one and it says and again he entered into capernaum after some days this is the same place where he had preached with authority where people were wondering where did he have this authority you know what what right does he have to preach the way that he's preaching so he's back in capernaum and it was noise that he was in the house and straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive him, no, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto him. And so, uh, so what we're seeing here, where we left off last week, is the original popularity of Jesus. And remember, anyone capable of doing miracles is going to have a big following. Even people who just pretend have big followings, like Benny Hinn. You know, even Kenneth Copeland, who couldn't blow the coronavirus away, he still has a huge following. Why? Because some, he's deceived some people into thinking he can heal. Well, Jesus is actually doing it, so of course he's going to have a big audience. But, again, Jesus was more interested in the spiritual message. He did the miracles to prove that he had the authority. He wasn't just going to go and say he can do all the things that he can do spiritually without giving them something to display that he truly did have that authority. And so that's why he's doing these miracles so this popularity that he's getting at first, it's really a carnal popularity from these people. And that's not what Jesus is looking for. And that's why he would tell certain people, don't tell anybody what I did for you, because it was going to get everybody chasing him for the wrong reason. He was looking for people that wanted to get their hearts right, that wanted to hear the truth, that were looking for that spiritual deliverance. And ultimately, the end result was the multitudes, instead of thronging him, is crucifying him. But understand, this is early in his ministry, they're still hyped up and excited about the miracles that he's doing. And so this is a very famous miracle. 
Now, let's remember, when we look into these miracles, let's look at the spiritual significance, because we don't know all the miracles Jesus did. We only know the miracles that are recorded in the scriptures, and the ones that are recorded in the scriptures are all there for a reason. And you're going to see this next one. It's pretty easy to figure out uh, what the spiritual significance of this miracle is. So look what it says in verse 3. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And they could not come nigh unto him for the press. They uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thy house. And immediately he arose and took up his bed and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. So can anybody guess what the spiritual significance of that healing was? Jesus flat out said, So you can know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Because that's why many people we're going to see come to Jesus. We're going to see that later in the chapter. When all these publicans, all these bad people are coming to Jesus, you know why they were doing that? Because they weren't, they knew they couldn't get forgiveness from the keeping of the law and for doing all those things. They were outcasts. They were rejected by the Jews. They were rejected by the Pharisees. And these, and many of these people, I believe, had a desire to have cleansing for their sins. But you know what? They didn't think they could get it. They didn't think it was possible. And so here you have Jesus coming along saying he has the power to forgive sins, telling people you are forgiven of your sins, but he doesn't just say it. He proves he can do it in front of all the skeptics when he goes and he heals a man that's crippled that has to be carried in his bed. That's how bad the guy's up. Jesus just says to him, arise, take up thy bed and walk. And it happens. And you know what that did? That told everyone who had an ounce of faith, who had a real desire for forgiveness of sins, it caused them all to say, this man can forgive my sins too. Now, some people saw what he did and said, he can heal my body. And Jesus could heal bodies. But you know what? The people who got the better end of the deal were the ones who said, he can forgive my sins. And so that is the point of this miracle. I mean, you think about this miracle here. This is one of the most famous miracles. I mean, if you ever went to Sunday school for more than a month, you heard the story of the man that was born of four. There are songs written about it. But you know what people don't often bring up about that is just that this miracle, it's all about forgiveness. Thank God, Jesus, you know, I'm glad Jesus had the power to heal people. But the real reason we should be excited about that is because, not because we might need physical healing someday, but because we do need spiritual healing right now. We need forgiveness of sins. We're not getting into heaven without it. Y'all understand that? Nobody's getting into heaven 
without forgiveness of sins because we're all transgressors. And Jesus proved that he could do that. He proved that he had the authority to do that when he told this man to do it. And so the power to forgive sins, it was Jesus proved that he had it. And it was just not power. Now, get, get this. this is important you understand this. Jesus didn't just prove he had the power in the sense of look at my might, you know, look at my power, like like a mighty sorcerer who has the power to do some great thing. It wasn't just about the power, even though, you know, carnally speaking, Jesus has amazing power. Okay? I mean, Jesus is the one that spoke the universe into existence. Okay? So there's no doubt he has power in the supernatural sense. But the thing is, it was all power is often another word for authority. Okay, that's often what's what it's another word for. It's for authority, and because there are some very powerful people in the world today who haven't even got the ability to do a card trick. I mean, think about who's one of the most powerful men in the world starting today. Joe Biden. Okay, is it not true he's got a lot of power right now? Okay, but that power, it's all in his authority. You know, stick him in a room with any of us guys, you know, and, and he doesn't have any power. Okay. You know, he, 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 ha- he has no ability to do any great thing physically. He can't even give a speech without reading a teleprompter, and he messes that up, and he did today. You know, what was that one thing I caught that he said today about, oh, I forgot, the one line he said, it was pretty funny that he messed up. But, uh, so you see how that Joe Biden, the man, has no power at all. But the Joe Biden, the president, with his office, he does have great power and great authority right now. And so Jesus Christ, we got to understand his power. It was not just in his ability to do things, but in his authority. And that is what this chapter is all about. So we need to understand that. So. Because one of the, par- you know, I guess you could say a paradox of the life of Jesus is how on one hand, Jesus had no power and authority on earth when it came to rank. You know, he was just a carpenter's son, wasn't he? Jesus lived among the common people. He had no rank on earth. He had no title that gave him any special authority that a government can give. But on the other hand, Jesus had all power and all authority, didn't he? Because why? Because God gave that spirit without measure to him. And that's why it says in Matthew 28, after Jesus Christ rises from the dead, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, when Jesus said, All power is given unto me, is Jesus saying, Now that I've rose from the dead, I just, I'm like supercharged now. You know, the power that I had when I created the universe was one thing, but now, I mean, supercharged power, right? Is he now, is he now more powerful in a, you know, in the supernatural sense? Or is he saying, is he talking about his authority that he has on earth? Because what does he do right after he says this? He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. You know, so what Jesus is doing here when he brings up all that power and all that authority and then he commissions those disciples to go into all the world, you know what he's doing is he's saying, hey, I have, I have all power and authority on earth and I have commissioned you 
to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So you know what that means? Since Jesus Christ gave that to those apostles and that went to the church, you know what that means? That we, our jurisdiction for where we are allowed to soul win is global. It's global. Now, you and I, we don't have very much physical power, do we? We don't have very much earthly power. We have no earthly authority. Okay? But at the same time, and, and so because of that, if we go soul win somewhere where it's illegal, you know, we could potentially be overcome physically, but at the same time, it doesn't change the fact that we have every right and we are under the authority of Jesus Christ to go there. And so you know what that tells me? That tells me if I go where the Lord wants me to go, then if I die, that's just God's will. Because I'm, and, and I'm there. I have his protection if God so chooses to protect me because this entire world is his jurisdiction and he has commissioned us to go into all the world and he has that power or that authority to do that. And so, you know what? We'll go soloing wherever we want. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to be careful maybe some places we go. It doesn't mean that we might not have to be stealthy a little bit. You know, I'm not saying that you can't do that. I, you know, some of these missionaries that we know in other countries, some that I know personally, that have to do things secretly. I'm not against them doing that. Say, but they're breaking the law. Well, they're breaking the earthly law, but you know what? Jesus' law trumps their, that law. And so you know what? As far as God is concerned, what they are doing is right, and I support them. Because that they are they're submitting to the higher power. And so eventually, though, and sometimes that happens, those people do get overtaken physically by the earthly powers. But when that happens, you know what? God tends to use those things to just advance the gospel even more. You know why? Because he has all power and authority on earth. And he might let us, you know, take a bullet for the cause of Christ. He might let us die. He did it with the apostles. He did it with, he's done it with a lot of Christians throughout history. But either way you look at it, I say all that to say, Jesus has all authority all over this earth. And if we're being obedient to him with that great commission, you know what? As far as God's concerned, you're not violating, you're, you're, you're never sinning when you break earthly laws given the gospel. It's, it's never a sin because he has all power and all authority. And so just uh, always keep those things in mind. So we will continue to ignore certain laws from our government when it comes to this thing. You know, we'll only obey them. We will only obey the government in the areas where God gave them authority. It's God that ordains authority. God ordains authority and God gave them a role. Human government does have a role that God gave them. Now, they can step outside that if they want to and claim power where God never gave it. But you know what? It doesn't mean that that's now ordained of God, too. I know God ordained government for the punishment of evildoers, but they decided now that they want to go into other areas, too. And now we all have to follow that, too. Maloney. Maloney. That is not true. We're not going to do that. And we will. We will completely ignore it. And, um, I don't know, maybe it's just the, re the rebel in me, but I sometimes enjoy just, you know, violating those things that I know in good conscience, in good conscience that, yeah, I'm breaking the law, but 
I'm also being obeying God. And I don't know, it feels pretty good. And, you know, and the, and the Lord protects me. And, you know, I'm the same way, too, when it comes to violate or when I when it comes to violating unconstitutional laws. I do it all the time because because the truth is, if it's unconstitutional, then it's not really a law, is it? So you're still not doing anything wrong. Now, somebody might come along and tell you you're doing something wrong. But again, if they have no authority backing them, who cares? Who cares when Karen comes up to you and tells you you're breaking some law? That it's not even a law. She has no authority. You know, no, nobody, uh, you know, you know, nobody made her a police. But yet she wants to come along and police you for not doing something the news media told you you should do, or even a politician told you you should do without even passing a law. You're not violating anything. And so, you know, you're, you know. Don't let that kind of thing bother you. Just, you know, it, uh, and I, I don't know. I said maybe I'm just a little too rebellious. But the truth is, it's not rebellion. It's just, it, and at the end of the day, we sometimes feel like we are a little bit, but we aren't. So, uh, you know, this last week, I was in multiple states. You know, we were traveling all over. We went everywhere we went on our trip, except for, uh, I'll confess, except for uh, Panda Express. We really wanted Panda Express. But everywhere we went, the whole trip, everything, no entry without mask. We just went in because okay, it's not a law. They, they can put that stuff on. Just, just because somebody posts something on a door somewhere doesn't make it a law. Y'all understand that? And so we just, we just did it. But when we were at Panda Express, and I wanted it bad. I, I could have walked away because we – you know. Some of the younger girls wanted McDonald's. We went over there. They didn't make us do it, but I did. I, I put the stupid monkey mask on and, you know, got my thing. And then as soon as, like, they, like, swiped the card and everything, I just, like, took it right off. You know, once it was too late because the food is out, it was too late for them to stop it. And then, you know, so you shouldn't be a jerk like that. I can't help it. But, uh, I can't help it. It's just I need to work on that. But anyway, verse 13 says, And he went forth again by the seaside. And all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. So interestingly enough, after we see Jesus displaying his authority, exercising his authority, forgiving people of their sins, healing a man that is crippled, the very next thing we do is he starts calling disciples and it starts out talking about Matthew. A publican, which is very interesting. He calls a publican and tells him to follow him. And, uh, and this is Matthew. In Matthew 10, 3, says Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew the publican. James the son of Al- And then it mentions James the son of Alphaeus. So it's very possible, I don't know, that Matthew and James were brothers. There could have just been multiple Alphaeuses, but they both have that name. Uh, he's called Levi here in Mark. So it's just a possibility of, you know, just a little bonus uh, thing there. But it says in verse 15, And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. Now, we don't know why Jesus chose each of the disciples that he chose. We really don't know that much about Matthew, but I don't think it's a coincidence that when uh, in the chapter where Jesus is displaying his authority, 
he, one of his most famous miracles is recorded. That's a, a miracle recorded to prove he had the ability to forgive sins. Right after it tells that story, the first disciple that it mentions that he called is Matthew, a publican. Maybe a public publicans were very looked down on. They were a very they were very they were like the IRS. You know, we all hate IRS. Back when I used to do taxes, one of the ladies that worked at the tax preparing place used to work for the IRS, and everyone hated her. And I did too after I found out she worked for the IRS. And it was funny too because as tax preparers, we were supposed to like help, you know, the customer get you know the best refund they could and you know do things in their favor. And the lady that ran the place said she often had to remind her that hey, you're working for them now, not the government. <laughs> You know, and she she always had to be reminded of it. And she was just she she was the type of person you would expect to have worked for the IRS. And we still look down on those people today too, don't we? You know, those bill collectors and stuff like that. None of none of us like them. Nothing's changed in that area. But but after so right after Jesus chooses him, all of a sudden many publicans are coming to him. Maybe Jesus chose Matthew, knowing hey, if I choose a guy like this. This is going to send a message to all the other publicans and things that are out there that, you know what, I'll forgive their sins too. He didn't just go after the upper crust people to get them to follow him. No, he went to the common man. He went to the, the low lives, you could say. He went to the publicans and he forgave guys like them, got them to follow him. And so all these publicans are saying, man, Jesus is letting Matthew be one of his disciples? If he, Jesus was able to forgive him, you know, he can probably forgive us too. And so now we've got many of them coming to him. And it says in sinners also, what is it? Okay. Yes, all have sinned, but there are some people that are just noted by their sin because they're just really bad. These are people too that not, they're not just people who transgress the law because we've all transgressed the law. But these are people who are not following the customs of the Jews in that day, who aren't doing all the things they're supposed to do for cleansing. So these are the outcasts that it's referring to. And so it would be kind of like in the Catholic world, you have a lot of people who are Catholics, but they're kind of like on the outs with the church because they haven't been doing their confessions. They haven't been taking their communions. And so they're like Catholics, you know, kind of by birth, but they're in bad standing with the church. You know, maybe they're living, uh, you know, they're living together outside of wedlock and things like that. And so they're, maybe not even allowed to take communion in that church. That's kind of how these people were. But yet, here Jesus is sitting and eating with people that the congregation had put away from them. That They didn't want to have anything to do with them because these people weren't following the laws, they weren't following the customs, they weren't doing the cleansings and all those things. And here Jesus is sitting there eating with them. And they're thinking, you know, what gives him the right to do this? Well, you know what? Jesus was able to do this. You know why? Because he could forgive sins. That's why he was doing this. So verse 16, And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How, can, how is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith to them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Now, this is a great verse here. Now, you know, the, the trendies like to use this verse. To, you know, look how nice Jesus was to these, you know, down and outers. 
Look how nice he was to the publicans and the harlots. You know what Jesus said about the publicans and harlots? You know what he said? They're sick. And it's true, isn't it? Now, they've taken it so far, they don't even want to admit these people are sick. And you know what? We're not down. You know, you know what? Thank God Jesus heals the sick. But you know what? You don't get healing from the sick if you don't acknowledge that you're sick. And the truth is, yes, the Pharisees were sick too, but they wouldn't acknowledge it. But the publicans and harlots were also sick. But they got forgiveness because the cure, the blood of Jesus Christ, it can cleanse from all sin. It can cleanse from all spiritual sickness, but you got to acknowledge that you're sick. So you know what? We don't get to use this verse as an excuse to not rebuke any sin. We've got to let people know, hey, you're sinful. You're sick. You're on your way to hell. Your life is wicked. We're not, we're not helping by toning down the message and misusing this passage of scripture. Jesus said they're sick. Now, if I say that people like that are sick today, I'm going to be a bad person. I'm going to be a mean guy. But no, I'm just trying to point out the fact that there is, in fact, a real need for a savior. So, again, often we end up separating these stories and we preach messages on different sections, and that's fine. But I do. I think it's clear these stories are all here together for a reason. These things all, all help each other. And so the beginning of this chapter, it illustrated the authority Jesus had to forgive sins. Then it goes on to show how he used that authority. He chose disciples, and his, and, he, and he had followers who were the outcasts of society. So these stories, they're meant to give hope, to all those who are rejected by society or rejected by religion, but that are repentant and want to receive salvation. And that's the thing, too. These people that came to Jesus, they were repentant. Jesus saying, you know, said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's what Jesus came to do. And so verse 18 says, And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast, and they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? Now, Pharisees, they just could not handle. Folks, nothing has changed here. What we are about to see is alive and well today, even in Baptist churches today. These Pharisees, they could not handle seeing people that they saw as lesser than them not doing the works that they were doing. They couldn't handle it. They were doing all these fastings all the time. Sometimes they were doing things just to appear to be fasting. Jesus called that out just to try to impress other people. And here they are not doing any of these things. And yet we see Jesus accepting these people, loving these people, forgiving these people. And then what does he do? He chews out the Pharisees. Now, why is that? I'll well, turn over to Isaiah chapter 65. Because nothing ever really changed with the Jews and still nothing has ever really changed with the Jews. Look what it says in Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 1. This is a prophetic passage right here. It says, I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people. That's talking about the Jews. Romans talked about this passage right here. It says, 
um, which walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts, a people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face, that sacrificeth in gardens and burneth incense upon the altars of brick, which remain among the graves and lodge in the monuments, which eat swine's flesh, both of abominable things is in their vessels, which say, stand by thyself, come not near me to me, for I am holier than thou. These are a smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day. That's where we get the phrase holier than thou. We've got a people that are out there that are telling other people, you stay away from me because I'm holier than thou. But Jesus said how these people really were. And then he also in that passage says, you know what? I'm sought of them who didn't even ask for me. I've been reaching out to you, Israel. I've been reaching out to you. And not only are you rejecting me, but you are rejecting others while acting like you're better than they are, saying you're holding that. God said, you're a smoke in my nose. They, that angered God greatly, even in the Old Testament. And so here we are hundreds of years later. Jesus Christ is on earth. Israel hasn't changed one bit. They've got a group of people over there. You stay away from me because I'm holier than thou. But those people that were over there, these are the ones that are repentant. These are the ones that are turning to Jesus Christ, coming to him for forgiveness of their sins. While the Pharisees were over there like, I'm all good. We don't even need you, Jesus. We're fine just the way we are. You know why? Because they were following something that was from their own hearts. They had taken the things of God. They had taken the laws and the customs that God gave, and they twist them and they change them. And they, you know, they used certain things to their advantage. They threw out things that they didn't like. They added stuff to it that some things they added, Jesus called out, actually caused them to go against commands of the Bible. And yet they had such a self-righteous, arrogant attitude. And you know what? It made Jesus sick. It disgusted him. Nothing changed. But what you know why we're seeing this today is you've got religious people, some people that grew up in church, they've been in church their whole life, they know how to walk the walk, they know how to talk the talk, they know the whole nine yards, they know their Bible inside and out, but then these same people, you know what, they, they can't stand the idea of somebody who just believes on Christ, asks for forgiveness of their sins, being saved when they never came to church, they never got baptized, they never turned you know, over a new leaf, they never did all these things. There's no way these people are really saved. Isn't that, where's, where's the difference there? You know what? These people, these religious people often think they're saved because look at all that I do. You know what? That reminds me of a group of people in the Bible that were not saved, that were Pharisees. And so you better watch getting that kind of attitude. And you know what? I know I'm probably going to be talking about this a little bit on Sunday too, but you know, as we, you know, grow in Christ, we, you know, we don't want to, we don't ever want to get to this point. Obviously we want to learn. And once we learn things, we are accountable for them. But we've all got to remember that when somebody gets saved, they're just not automatically downloaded with all the knowledge that you and I have. You know, it took most of us a long time to get to where we are today. And we have to be patient with people when they get saved. They're going to have a lot of baggage. They're going to have a lot of issues. They're going to, there's going to be a lot of things that they do that are wrong. You know what we just need to do? Set an example. We just need to do the right thing. And you know what? Eventually, the Holy Spirit will get through to them and will sanctify them and help get them on the right path. Let the Holy Spirit do that. And a lot of times, 
churches, they, you know, they get so uncomfortable, you know, around the lesser people, around them sinners, that they end up just driving people like that out, and then the church just becomes a country club. I don't ever want that to be that way around here. I do not ever want to be a church that we've got nothing in our church but just, you know, seasoned Christians that have all been saved for decades. We've got like no babes in Christ. That is not a healthy church. We don't want to be that way. We should, And so uh, we could talk a lot more about that, but I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. But any, anyway, so back to this question that the Pharisees are asking, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, why this was a problem to them because they felt that their fasting made them in some way superior, which was just ridiculous. But notice, though, Jesus does answer this question on why they're not fasting. And so it says in verse 19, and Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them and then Shall they in those days, or then shall they fast in those days? They were right then in a time of celebration. They had Jesus. He was there with them. Jesus had given them forgiveness. This was not a time of mourning for them. It was a time of rejoicing. And you know what? There's a time and a place for everything. Okay? There's a time and a place for everything. And we've got to learn to know when that is. You know, because you, you can find examples of them rejoicing in the Bible. You can find examples of them mourning. You can find examples of them rebuking somebody and being mean. You can find examples of them speaking softly and being nice. There's a time and place for everything, but you got to have a little bit of wisdom and discernment to know when the time and place is to do these things. And so that's why we go into these parables. These are listed as parables here in verse 21 and 22. Notice what it says. No man soweth a piece of a new cloth on an old garment. Else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles. Else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put into new bottles. And just a little side note there, this is a good verse too for people who act like wine is always alcoholic wine. Well, then what is new wine? Okay, what, you know, what is new wine? And you know, I'm not a wine person. I don't know much about it. But the reason you don't put old, uh, you don't put uh, new wine into old bottles is because back then they had the leather bottles and that leather, you know, it would stretch out some. And so when you put that new wine in there, as it got old, apparently it expands, and so then those bottles would stretch. Well, if you put new wine into old bottles, then those old bottles are already stretched out. Now, when that new wine starts to expand, you know what? The bottles are going to burst. And so you know what he's basically doing in these two parables, the significance of these parables is just there is an appropriate time and place for everything. That's pretty much all there is to these parables. There's an appropriate time and place for everything. There are some things that just don't make sense to do at certain times. Now, you got to get this. okay? Because remember, the law was not meant to be a burden, but a help. All the parables are all told for a reason. It's very important when you study a parable that you look at everything that led up to the telling of that parable to help us understand it. And what led to this parable? The Pharisees thought 
Jesus or John's disciples or uh, or Jesus' disciples should be fasting. Jesus was trying to say, this isn't the time. The bridegroom's here. Fasting's good. There's a time and a place for fasting, but this isn't the time. You see, the problem with them, they just did it to do it so they could brag on themselves, but they weren't doing it for the right reasons. They weren't doing it in the right spirit. Therefore, they were often doing it wrong and it was pointless and could even do damage. And so that's why he gives these parables right here. And you know what? Shame on those who take the things of God and make them into burdens for people. There's a time and a place for everything. Okay, in Luke 14, verse 5, it says, And answer them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? You know what? They weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath day, but that was supposed to help them. Days off are good. Rest is good. But if your ox or your ass falls in a pit and you don't get them out of there, they're going to die. And now your life has become more difficult. You've suffered great loss. You're going to have to do far more work. And so while the Sabbath is a good thing, you got to understand, sometimes you can't rest. Sometimes there's things that have to be done. You know what? You ought to go to church. But ladies, if you're going into labor, you know what? Skip church that day and go to the hospital. Go home and have your baby, whatever you're going to do. You know what? You ought to be at church. But if you're sick and you got COVID-19, don't go to church. Stay home. Why? Because there, there is, yes, we should be at church. But sometimes there's exception. Y'all understand that? There's sometimes going to church would be like putting new wine into old bottles. You're going to end up doing damage. You're going to be putting new cloth on an old garment. And so that's what Jesus is trying to explain right here. There's a time and a place for everything. And you know what? It, it doesn't take a lot of brains to figure these things out. But you know what we do? We make going to church such a tradition and a keeping of the law that if you ever skip church, you're not right with God. You've got this problem. You've got that problem. And now all of a sudden, you know, we're just, we're just trying to like live up to some standard that in reality we can't live up to. Any standard we try to live up to is lesser than what God actually wants. And so at the end of the day, what God God wants us doing things for the right reason from the heart. And you know what? There are, there's exceptions sometimes. And if I have to sit down and I have to write down a list of what those exceptions are, something's wrong. If you got to go, if you just don't want to come to church sometime, well, let's look for that list of exceptions Pastor Tommy gave us and see if we can use any of these things. Y'all realize we've lost the spirit of things somewhere? And, you know, you ought, to be able, you ought to be able to figure these things out for yourself. You know, you ought to be able to make these decisions yourself. And I don't feel like getting up and preaching a sermon titled, When You Are Allowed to Miss Church. I, I shouldn't have to preach messages like that. It, if, if I have to, we've got, a real, we've got a spiritual problem somewhere. And so, you know, we should have dress standards as a church. Okay? But you know what? There's going to be exceptions. Obviously, you know, and, and we don't like have a written dress code somewhere, and you know, and it's because we don't really need one. But even if we had one and it was a great one, you know what? What if the person's a visitor? What if the person's a new Christian? You know, there's there's all these things. There's all these what ifs, and you know, and, and you, but what happens a lot of times is you get carnal people in the church, and they do they want the list of the rules because you know what they want to ride the line. 
They want to ride the line and then they want to police everybody else in the church. And we've got to understand, you know, there, you know, there is, there, there is, there's a time and a place for everything. And we shouldn't be making the things of God just become burdens. And so this next story that we're going to see too is basically Jesus illustrating this principle that we see here uh, in these parables that he just gave. So, you know, we need to make sure, this is another thing we've got to watch out for, we need to make sure we don't let those who promote carnality in church, and they're out there. Okay? We want to make sure we don't let them cause us to just become militant and harsh to others who don't have our standards. We don't, we don't want to be that way. We shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't put unnecessary burdens on new believers. We, sh- we shouldn't do that. And, you know, and I've seen Christians do this where somebody gets saved and they want to help the ladies out in this family by giving them a whole bunch of modest clothes. Don't do that. Right? That's, a, that's a terrible thing to do. Uh, we had somebody visit our church one time. Well, I think one of the reasons they quit going to the church is somebody in the church, you know, noticed that they're, you know, the wife and daughters weren't really dressing the way girls should dress to church. And so somebody in the church gave them some more appropriate clothing. That's, folks, man, that wasn't here, but I would have flipped. All right, you ever do that to anybody? I will flip, all right? You can help people when they ask you for your help. Until then, you know, let them figure out, you know, ladies, you know, I mean, you know, good night, you know, let that lady's husband be her authority on her clothing. Don't you go there helping her out. And, you know, and sometimes, too, they might even want to dress right, but you know what? They got their husband. You know, there's so many things that we have no idea what they're dealing with and what they're going through. Mind your own stinking business. Why do you even dress the way you do? You just doing it to protect, you know, just to impress all of us? Because you know what? Let me just, we're just, I'm still not impressed. Still not impressed. God's still not impressed. Your righteousness is still as filthy rags. You know what? Why don't you just keep doing what you believe God wants you to do? And who cares what everybody else does? And if somebody asks for your help, then you can help them. Until then, just butt out. That's what you, that's what you need to do. Good night. And I, and I haven't seen anybody do that here, but I just hope what I've said here tonight is scared anybody from ever doing anything like that. Do not give that help when it's not asked for. You know, we, we, we cannot expect others to just get where we are in a matter of weeks, months, or even years. We can't do that. You know, it is, it's putting new wine into old bottles is, is, what, is what we're doing in that situation. We can't do that. It's verse 23. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, it's like these Pharisees just follow around spying on him all the time. It's just like, what is wrong with these people? Reminds me of these trolls that just watch everything we do online, just waiting for us to mess up, just waiting for us to slip up. Just waiting for me to say something that they can expose me with, you know, and so they can go tattle on me. You know what? Nothing changes, folks. This was 2,000 years ago, but people have never changed. You know why? Because they're just stinking sorry sinners. That's all there is to it. Pharisee said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have you never read what David did when he had need and wasn't hungered? He and they that were with him? How he went to the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest, and gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a good thing. 
This is, this is a burden lifted. But now you're telling people they, when they're walking through a field, they can't even pluck corn and eat it. And you know where that came from? That didn't come from the Bible. You know, the law wasn't that strict. It wasn't that harsh. That came up with all of their rules, their extra rules that they came up with. You know why? Because they had a bunch of Baptists in their group that when they said you're not allowed to work on a Sabbath day, instead of just getting the, you know, getting the spirit of it and the, and the principle of it and just, you know, you know, just doing things from the heart, well, look at what's considered work. Is walking considered work? Well, obviously you have to walk somewhere. Well, how far can we walk? And they did. They literally had their own set of rules and laws saying how far you could work, how much you could, li- how, how much you could lift. I mean, there was all these super meticulous rules. Folks, that's ridiculous. And that's how it is in a lot of churches today. If I got up, if I was like an odd of IFB preachers and I got up and I preached a sermon, the title is, When You Are Allowed to Miss Church. One of the things I would probably put in that sermon is how many times? You know, I can see three or four, maybe five times a year. But, you know, you miss church more than five times a year. You're you're probably just, your priorities probably just aren't right. Well, that's all there is to it. Okay, so it's five times then. All right, well, let's go keep track on the calendar. And, you know, you're like people are at work. You know, when I was at Walmart with their, you know, where you have like your, uh, uh, what's it called? Occurrences, yeah. It's been a while since I've been there now. I'm forgetting. And you're allowed to get so many in six months. And people, a lot of times, they would just wait for certain ones to fall off. And then once they fall off, then all of a sudden they're missing days again. And I knew a guy when I was in Spring Valley, he was all the way to a step three, which when you get a step three, you so much as sneeze when you're not supposed to, they fire you for six months. And this guy who just had horrible, and they were, their attendance was way more lenient back then. This guy, who had horrible attendance. It was back then, it was a lot harder to get fired for attendance. He was, I mean, just being, clocking in a minute late would have got him fired. For six months, he had perfect attendance. And that all fell off, and as soon as it fell off, he was back to missing days again. It was one of the funniest things. Nobody thought he was going to survive it. Somehow he survived it, but you know what? His heart never changed. Because <laughs> as soon as he was able to miss, he missed. You know what? That's how a lot of Christians are. They are. They, their pastor's giving them those written rules, and they do, man. They they toe that line, and that's that's wrong. They're missing the point. And so these these rules they were meant to help. This was a good thing. And so Jesus went on to say, therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. He's Lord also of the Sabbath. Once again, stating, you know what? I'm the boss. I'm the one who made the rules. Hey, hey, you want to know where that, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy came from? Came from me. And you know, I gave that law to be a blessing to you and to help you. But here I am, I'm with these men and they're hungry and they need something to eat and it's not going to help them. It's not going to be beneficial to them to not eat right now, to follow your version of this rule. And so since I'm the boss, I'm going to do that. And you know what? A boss, where he has power and authority, he can often do things like that. He can often, you know, maybe you're told you have to go into work at 8 o'clock, but you know what? If the boss tells you, if the guy with the authority tells you, you know what? Tomorrow, you can come in at 9. You don't need to say to him, but boss, it's on our policy that we're supposed to come in at 8 o'clock. He's the boss. He can change that if he needs to. He can make an exception somewhere if needed. 
And that, and often they do that. Maybe there's like a snowstorm coming. They're giving you some extra time so they get the roads clear or something like that because they don't want to put you in danger going to work. There's times, there's exceptions, there's situations like that. And so Jesus Christ, he ends it showing, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I have the authority to do this. You know what? Leave these guys alone. So this, this whole chapter is really all about the authority of Jesus Christ. And so if we know what we are doing is right, if we know what we are doing is best, then we should be content with doing those things, even if everyone else is not doing those things. And when we try forcing things on people before they're ready, you know what? We're going to cause the bottle to burst. We're going to cause that rent in the garment to be made worse. And God has the power to forgive sins. God has the power to show mercy. And you know what? That same God who has that power and that authority, you know what? He has given us the power and the authority to put up with quite a bit of stuff if we so choose. We have every right to do that. And so we don't have any reason to not be merciful to others. In fact, we're in sin if we're not being merciful to others. And so I think it's it's high time we take advantage of that power and that authority. You know, today, I think the president or former president now, he pardoned like over 100 people. The president has that power and that authority to do something like that. So nobody's really surprised when they use it. You know, sometimes it's like, I, you know, I, I wish I had the power to pardon a few people. Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, Julian Assange. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if I would have that, but yeah, you know, I, there, there, there's a lot of people I, I talk about. Uh, I wish I had the power to throw some people in prison. I, I don't have that power, but it's like imagine having the power to do some great things and never doing it. And you know what? We have the power and the authority to be forgiving to other people. Why don't we ever use anything like that? Why don't we ever pardon anybody in areas where we have authority to do that? There are areas where we have the authority and the power to forgive. We should probably take advantage of that. Here we are sitting on that. We do nothing with it. I think that's a shame. I'm glad Jesus wasn't that way. I'm glad since he has the power and the authority to do that, he uses it, and he uses it all the time. And thank God for it. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word and for forgiveness of sins. Dear God, help us to uh, follow your example in this area. Lord, help us to uh, be forgiving and uh, caring to other people. Lord, help us to uh, help people become better Christians and not hinder them. Help us to not create burdens that are just unnecessary for them, but you'll help us to do things in the right spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.